This is Dr. Yishai Barkadari, Adaptability Hacker and Adaptability Coach to Entrepreneurs and Leaders. And if you want to learn how to level up and be successful through masterminds, then you should listen to Brandon Straza with The Mastermind Effect. You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to The Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey, everyone. Today, we've got the accountability coach himself, Dr. Yishai. He talks about how our learning happens in the context of the relationships we're in and around. Dr. Yishai lets us know how there's so many opportunities and masterminds to get people's ideas from different industries and how that benefits you. And Dr. Yishai explains why adaptability is your cutting edge skill. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show where you know, I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, to help us do this, we have got the host of The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. Dr. Yishai, the adaptability hacker himself. Doc, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, when the listeners realize all the value that you bring in, the golden nuggets, the truth bombs that you're dropping out there, and they want to either reach out and learn more about you or connect with you and say, hey, what's going on? You know, What can we do together? What's the best place through social or personally they can uh, connect with you? Yeah, great question. So if you want to learn more, go to my website, dryishai.com. I can spell that out for you, for you, D-R-Y-I-S-H-A-I.com. That's a great place to learn more. And if you want to reach out to me, LinkedIn is probably the smoothest and fastest way. If you drop me a line, let me know uh, that you listen to this podcast. I'll have some context and we can pick it up from there. Absolutely. And that'll be in the show notes below. But, you know, Dr. Yishai... It's I'm I'm excited to have you. You know, we've had a we've had a few conversations uh before this and then, you know, you know, about a month before that. And so just really looking forward to learning more and uh, you know, going forward with it. So let's uh let's dive into it. When when you and I were younger, our ability to have access to different people and learn has really changed compared to, you know, over the last five, 10 years. When you and I were younger, it was, you know, textbooks and teachers and you know, coworkers, family, friends, the people around us, but that's a sliver of what's really possible. How has your learning changed from your early years versus today? It's such a great question. So I think it's grown by orders of magnitude. When I was, and I will just acknowledge, I was born into a Jewish bubble, which for me meant that my, the group of people that I knew were really very closely connected to me through religion, community, and as far as being able to, let's say, pursue something that I wanted to pursue, information, knowledge, uh, wisdom, guidance, mentorship, it was so much harder for me to move out of that space. And the the only way to move out of those spaces, at least for me initially, was to go to graduate school, was to pick up books and read them. Or sometimes, and I didn't do this much because I was in the kind of Jewish bubble and I'm personally a little bit shy, or I have been historically, that... I could try to reach out to people. And reaching out to people always felt really intimidating and very hard thing to do. But now there's so much more connectivity and it's changed for me in a really huge way. It used to be, I felt like I needed to reach out to people myself or ask my parents or you know my cousins or my uncle, my aunt, my brother, someone needed to introduce me to them. Somebody I knew and had like a really personal history with. 
you know, or a professor or mentor, somebody that I, that I'd already built a relationship with. And what's really shifted is at this point I can, and I have, and I do reach out to people all the time, like on LinkedIn, I look for people that share interests or I'm commenting on something that somebody else has posted or has commented on. And so we get to have these interactions with people that I had never really been exposed to or hadn't been able to to get connected with prior to, I mean, I would say the internet. I, I grew up in an age where AOL was just starting. And so there were these chat rooms, but they weren't really a place for me to learn and grow um, more than it was a kind of, it felt like a, a bit of an, a social experiment. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, how the bubble that we grow up in, whether it's small or large, we still, I think we all grow up in some form of a bubble and, and have that safety net in, in what's, okay, what's acceptable, what's allowed. And how do we, if we sit there and we say, Hey, we want to, we want to break out of that bubble. You know, what does that look like? There was uh, someone was telling me about an experiment or a, a, a visual experiment, which was you have uh, you have three rooms and the people in the first room can't see the people in the second room, but the people in the second room can see the people in the first room. And then the people in the first room can only see, and it's, you know, the way that the mirror is and how do you let people in and like opening up that mirror to feel comfortable to going to that other room or that other bubble. Does that kind of make sense where I'm, you know, it just like, sometimes we need to be either allowed permission or someone from that other bubble has to let us in. Mm -hmm. It can be hard to move out of our own bubble, and it can also be challenging to feel welcome in another bubble. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So no, and 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 like you said, you're 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 breaking out of that bubble per se, and asking less, you know, less of hey, am I allowed to do this? Who should I do it with? And that's kind of the cool thing, you know. Tools like LinkedIn allow us to still sit there and have that that introvert safety zone, but at the same time you know, start having conversations that might otherwise not even exist. Absolutely. In fact, it's through some of those ways of reaching out that I ended up founding and creating my own podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and and, and real quick to kind of touch on, on the podcast so the listeners, you know, can understand, you know, and head, head on over there. Give us a little glimpse behind what is the podcast about? Yeah. So the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is kind of like if you took a psychologist and an executive coach, and you had them sit in the room with an entrepreneur or a leader, and you got to be a fly on the wall and listen to what unfolded. And there's really kind of digging into the parts of business, leadership, entrepreneurship that are really the human side of it and the adapting or the necessity of adapting those pieces of it. That's kind of what the entire purpose of the podcast is. And that's what you get out of it. Sometimes I actually like to say, really in short, it's kind of like the mastermind you get to sit in on for free. Yeah. And those, those sometimes, you know what, the, I've, I'm, I'm part of a free mastermind called Thursday night boardroom. Uh, you earn your way in there. You know, it's not just be like, Hey, everyone, can, but I mean, like sometimes those are the best ones to be in where you just kind of get to look from the outside in and see what happens. But you know, mm -hmm. I think it, it allows us to have way, you know, ways to have access. Like we talked about to more people and information and the amount of information that we have now it's a bit overwhelming, like the amount of information that we have access to. Some people, they learn from a mentor, some a mastermind, uh, online courses, accountability buddies, lots of ways to learn. Who are you currently learning from and how did you connect with them? Those are some really great questions. So one, I think I really need to give credit to Travis Chapel. I joined a mastermind of his and I met four or five really amazing entrepreneurs. I can drop some of their names. <laughs> 
many of whom actually. So there's Megan McNeil. She has her own podcast. Uh, Eric Music, who also has his own podcast. Amber Furman, who has her own podcast. You're going to hear a lot of that because I got connected to them and I heard so much about podcasting. And guess what? It opened up that door for me. Right? It's something that I hadn't thought of or viewed as being a reality or possibility. And I thought of it as something only people who have production teams and and have been in this business for ages or years you know, could really do. And then I was hearing from the inside and having exposure, getting connected to them. And so many more, by the way, there are five, six, seven, eight entrepreneurs just in that group. And so through them, I got connected. And then really, I would say that every time I have somebody as a guest on my podcast, I'm learning from them also. And I learn deeply from every one of my guests. And that's 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 the thing. Like selfishly, the, this podcast right here, the Mastermind Effect, I get to learn for free, and then we can listen to it afterwards, and we get to learn more. And I mean, like I've I've, I've implemented. I can't implement everything that I learn on here, but I, I figure a way. How does it pertain to me specifically? And then how can I plug that in my own Rubik's cube to sit there and say, Hey, can I utilize this? Is this going to help me become more efficient and happier? And if so, then yeah, let's let's. Let's do that. But yeah, isn't it's it's amazing how you know having people on your podcast, it's free learning. And then we as the podcast hosts give that out to the people and it's free learning for them if they so choose. Absolutely. And for me, it's also really important that every one of my guests gain something out of the conversation, also. It's really about them getting insight as well. So I like to think about it as a win, win, win. I get to learn, they get to learn and gain insight, and the audience gets to learn and gain insight. If it's not a win for everybody, then why would any one of those, right? Why would I do it? Why would the guest do it? And why would the audience listen? If each of us is not getting something really important, meaningful out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think sometimes when we get to learn, you know, we, we, we want to learn for multiple reasons. One of them is sometimes we get stuck in our own head and we don't know how to get out of our own way. It's like we can't see the picture through the frame. We can't see the tree through the forest. The world's still going through some form of a pandemic, but to me, it continues to cause a reset in how we can accomplish things. How have masterminds helped you when you're looking to reset and get unstuck? That's a great question. One of the things I think that's really important or has been really important to me is that learning happens in context of relationships. In fact, I'm going to tap into, so by day, I'm a psychologist and I'm going to add a disclaimer. I may be a psychologist, but I'm not your psychologist. And so, you know, please make sure you do your own research before, you know, taking what what I'm saying, uh, you know, just at face value. From a developmental standpoint, though, the way children learn from the time they are born is in context of the relationship with their caregivers. And there's so many caregivers that we have across our lifetime. You know, some of them are more equal footing as we're adults. My wife and I care for each other in many different ways, right? We take care of each other's needs and and there's something really beautiful that evolves out of that. There's something really beautiful in that relationship. And I learned tremendously about myself and about her, right? Coming back to it as children and whether it's in preschool with our teachers or in middle school, or it's in, in that relationship with our parents, we learn about ourselves, we learn about the world, we learn about how to make our way in it, and we learn how to adapt. So learning so fundamentally happens in relationships, and there's tons of research on this. In fact, when it comes to having a therapist, the biggest factor in terms of the therapy being helpful is the relationship between the therapist and the patient. 
And again, all of that is to say, not everybody needs to have a therapist. And of course, if you do need one, I hope you can reach out and get one because it's really important to be able to have that. And mental health is tremendously important. At the same time, the whole point there is it's the relationship and that context of the relationship that is really meaningful and really important, whether it's one-on-one or you get more people in the room. And in fact, when you get more people in the room, what you get having created when everybody's participating and people are curious and listening and engaging is you get multiple different perspectives that can come together to create something that isn't that doesn't exist in the context of just one perspective. It's the reason that if you raise a child away from all humans, they are not going to learn the same as if you raise them in a group of people. There's a reason we say it takes a village to raise somebody. And so that I think doesn't just exist for children. It exists for us across our lifetimes. Wow. I, I hadn't have thought about it that way. I mean, that's why we have you on the show. But like, I mean, <laughs> It's it's a continua it's a continuation. It's not just you know from childhood, but it's a continuation, and exactly. uh, that makes more sense when you have that loving household, when you have that caring household, and you you see someone you know who teaches the Good Samaritan, but then also practices the Good Samaritan, as opposed to they might teach it, but then they don't do it. And it's probably because of who we have around us and how we continue to raise ourselves, or the people around us, caregivers choose to care for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I like to say is, you know, the way I think about it is children have one job. Their single job is to learn what the world is and how to make their way in it, how to get their needs met and how to be a part of it. Right. So, but what if, what if leaving childhood does not mean that we stop having that mission? What if our single job is still to learn about the world, how to make our way in it, how to be a part of it and how to contribute to it? Yeah, it's, we, we, the child doesn't leave itself. We take the child like mentality, the curiosity, the learning, we take it out. Like it's, it's like we, we are like, okay, you're old enough now. Now you can't have this. But when we do that, it's like we, we crush the idea of like, why can't we be adult, continue to learn, think like, you know, have a, that curiosity like mentality, the, you know, saying anything is possible. And, and how you'll go about the rest of your life when you, when you don't change your age changes, but your lens per se continues to expand. Yeah, definitely can. And if I can kind of back up a little bit, one of the things about learning and learning from the people around us is we learn about how to see the world and how to interact with the world. And we do that in the context of the group, whether it's caregivers, friends, family, or coworkers, we do it in that context. And I'm going to connect this to masterminds because what happens in a mastermind or in a group where you pull people from all these different contexts is that they create a new environment, a new context where each person is bringing in their own learning and we all get to learn from that. It's kind of like if you have, if you have a bunch of ingredients, right? And each of those ingredients, like a different person in that mastermind, each of those ingredients, it grew or developed or came from its own place, right? And so if you have a spice, you have salt, right? Salt came from somewhere, but it came from one context. In order for salt to be helpful or useful, you want to put it with pepper and a steak, and then you want to pair it with a side and maybe a sauce, right? And so each of those is one different context with one different background. Each of us as a person, we learn. I learn how to be, I'll say salty, you know, that, that metaphor starts to fall apart, right? Or peppery, or I'll learn how to be savory from my own context, my own environment. The beautiful thing about a mastermind is you put all of these different ingredients together and they're all incredibly important. 
and they create something different that coming from our own contexts, we all learn that one thing. Was you, When you were talking about the way that we, as we grow up, we kind of take that child out of us, it's because we learn how to be the one thing we needed to be in that context. When we step out of that context and the world is so much bigger. By the way, this is something that many young adults experience when we step out of high school and into college, we walk into a whole different environment. And there's a whole, there's a whole set of firsts, especially for people who are living on campus. The whole world starts to open up. And this is one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but it may be a really big contributing factor to how much growth and change happens at that time. There's so much changing context. It's like throwing a bunch of ingredients together. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and, and you're speaking my language. If anybody knows me, I'm, I'm definitely all about food analogies <laughs> mm. as I come from a restaurant family, but being the, being the fat case, I think anyone can kind of understand, okay, here's your salt, here's your pepper, here's your, here's your au jus, here's your steak, here's your, you know, mm -hmm. your, whatever it is. And when you put that and those, those ingredients are people in different industries and how, when they come together, it's like a, it, it can create a perfect symphony and orchestra of what's possible. And you might be the, the, uh, the au jus, this ingredient over here, but this ingredient over here, you're able to pull from extract its flavor, its seasonings, its experience and its ideas and say, Oh, I'm, I might be different, but I can plug and play this into what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. I can add a little salt to my dish. Yeah. I can put a little paprika, right. Yeah. Can, can put a little cinnamon in there. It makes such a huge difference. Again, when you were talking about it, if, if we are only sitting with our own thoughts, it's kind of like putting salt on your plate and then putting more salt on it and trying to eat it. Right. I mean, you're going to get one note, you're going to get one flavor. And that doesn't mean, right. It doesn't mean that salt is bad. It doesn't mean that salt is unhelpful or not useful. There are many circumstances under which it's incredibly important, helpful, or useful. Right. And in many ways for any of us who are entrepreneurs, who are leaders, we have these backgrounds, we have this set of skills, we have this way of thinking, and it's ours. And so we get to own that, we get to do that, we get to be that. Where growth happens, where learning happens is in context of the relationship with other things. And I will add, getting into a mastermind, the person who's running the mastermind is like a chef, and they can choose the ingredients they're putting in. They need to be very intentional about that. Some chefs are just uh, so good at putting the ingredients together. Maybe some you didn't even imagine would fit together. Other chefs really struggle with that or they're learning. And it's really important to be aware when you're signing up for a mastermind or when you're getting into a group, what are the ingredients? Who's the chef? You got to trust the chef. If you don't trust the chef, right? It's like going into a restaurant and you don't know who the chef is and they're an amateur chef. You're you going to go there if they haven't been trained, if you don't know what the quality of food is like. Right. That's all really important to be intentional about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, since we're talking about masterminds right there and with a food analogy, I mean, they've been around for a long time. If you think about it, probably the first mastermind was the apostles. And then from there, a guy by the name of Benjamin Franklin creates the Junto Club or the Leather Apron Club. And then eventually this guy by the name of Napoleon Hill writes a book, kind of rounds it out. What is, you know, about a mastermind, you know, so obviously they've been around for a while as there continues to be a large boom in self-education, coaching, masterminds, mentorship. Where do you see the parallels going between self-education and standardized education? It's an interesting question. So I'm hearing that 
the, the way I'm hearing the question is what are the similarities or in what way are they kind of a parallel how they, process? How are they going to change as time goes forward? You have college, university, hmm. whatever it is. And then you have this, you know, growing um, self-education, coaching masterminds where you can learn on the go from people that are actually doing it. How do you see that, you know, where do you see the parallels going, you know, as we hear that the cost of college is ever increasing and sometimes depending on what your degree is the value is diminishing mm -hmm. um now if you want to be a doctor nurse and engineer you know like hey really important to go do that but otherwise where are the parallels going forward with uh self versus standard yeah so i think you were just alluding to it education as a system has been directing itself towards professional really specialized work and in some arenas, it's done that in a much more standardized way. Like you were talking about nursing, doctors, myself, right? I went to grad school. I got my master's. I got a PhD. I got a license, right? There's all of that that comes with doing that kind of professional work. And for people who are interested in uh, what Michael Gerber calls the technical work, it's really important to have that kind of technical education. Now, even there, there are a lot of different ways to do that. There are apprenticeship systems for a reason. They are very old and they exist for a reason. So even in something like the medical field or my, my own field, psychology, we get supervision. We have somebody who reviews the work we do, who gives us feedback, who sometimes even sits with us in the room or watches our videos or recordings, right? With whom we discuss these things. And so there's the professional education side of it is it's really kind of melded itself towards very particular kinds of technical work. I would say even parallel to that, there is increasing amounts of self-education for certain kinds of technical work or work that is much more specialized. So nowadays, there are more MBA programs that do things or computer science that do things like, you know, software engineering that's specifically for apps or marketing that's targeted towards a particular industry or a certain type of marketing. On the other hand, there's so much skill that goes into that. And so I see a lot of self-education really kind of moving into areas where the traditional standardized education isn't necessarily teaching technical skill. But I want to also take another step back and say, technical skill is not the only skill. And I'll give an example. My grad program, they maybe had a few different speakers come in, but I didn't really have a course on how to start my own business, my own, let's say even a psychology practice, which is not what I'm currently in the process of doing. I'm starting a different business. I started already a different business, but that's not something, right? The business skills, the entrepreneurial skills, the vision skills, the marketing skills, these different pieces of it weren't part of the technical education that was in the standardized education. And I also see another very important piece of this is in this self-education space, there's so much room to get, as I was saying, the different ingredients, get people from different industries and to learn about principles, whether it's a business or about personal growth or so many different parts of our lives that there's just so much that we can continue to learn. And that again, kind of comes back to we're, our job is not only to learn as children, but as we as we move into adulthood, we are also still learning. And so there's so many opportunities. And I just see that space really expanding in terms of self-education. Yeah. No, I, I, th I think you're going to see both grow. But, uh, you know, right now you've got over a $50 billion a year industry with self-education. They say in the next five years, I don't know, 150 to $200 billion industry. I mean, like just more than doubling. And uh, it is you have to have the right chef. 
you know, mastermind host, you know, picking the right ingredients, the right type of people that are going to help move that room forward. Because a lot of the time it's the people in the room is where some of the biggest value really comes from. They orchestrated, you know, the chef orchestrated it, the mastermind host orchestrated it, but it's all the ingredients and all the people that come along with it that really make for the right dish. So now that we have overkilled the food analogy <laughs> between masterminds, I love it. Uh, you know, when, when, when those individuals that are in that room, you know, the, the people in the mastermind, they choose to invest in their future. And I think investing in yourself is higher than the stock market, higher than the housing market. I'm in both of those, but guess what? I can't control mm. what happens to housing in the stock market. Mm. I can in turn control my return on my intention or my investment in myself and the people that are around me. What should people expect when they choose to invest in you and, and in turn invest in themselves and work with Dr. Yishai? It's a great question. So I think I'm going to answer in two different parts. One is that I think the skill of somebody who runs a mastermind is how they create that environment and how they facilitate that environment, which I think is incredibly important. And that environment can be just you and them in a one-on-one -on -one coach. It can also be in a group with multiple people. And in terms of the expectations or what it is that I kind of bring to that, the kind of chef that I am, as it were, uh, or if we're going to switch metaphors a little bit, maybe I'm a, the conductor of an orchestra with these different, right, these different instruments that are really harmonious. So what I really focus on and what I think is so incredible and so important is the environment we are in is an environment, like you were saying, where there's so much information. We live in such a data age that information is not our limiting factor anymore. It's our ability to adapt as information is, is really multiplying. It's our ability to harness that information and select our direction and to stay motivated and to make sure that we're where we're headed is where we want to be headed. And so for me, what I think the, the kind of cutting edge skill is adaptability, which is really what I focus on. For me, the way I think about it is if you want to make adaptability your superpower, and the way I think about adaptability is it is our ability in any set of circumstances to extract really important data about what's happening and what we want or need to happen, about what's going on internally for ourselves and externally in our environment. It's about direction. So what direction do I want to be headed in? What direction am I headed in? Uh, and do I need to change direction or how do I change direction? And it's about drive. It's about our motivation. Sometimes you need to hit the gas. Sometimes you need to hit the brakes. And so when it comes to the way that I kind of conduct or direct, it is really about you learning how to harness the way our brains are designed for adaptability because the human brain is uniquely designed for adaptability. It's one of the I think incredibly important reasons that we are dominant form of life on the planet. Our ability to adapt is a very critical part of this. And so if you could tune into that, if you knew or had the tools and frameworks to really be able to harness that, it can change everything. Yeah. No, it's um I'm just I'm I'm taking that I'm just kind of taking it all in. And really it is. It's when we choose to adapt and it, adapting, you know, or being able to be adaptable. I uh, could be saying, hey, I've been in this room and it's a room full of all my colleagues, all the people in the same industry. I need to unadapt to that and, and grow and adapt to being comfortable with a room of people that are not my colleagues and they do things differently and they see things differently. And that's kind of what I'm hearing is you help people grow into that to adapt to the room that might make them feel uncomfortable, but it's important for them to grow and learn. 
In a lot of ways, yes. You know, there's the old saying is that Darwin said, you know, we adapt to survive. And I think the next step in our evolution is adapting to thrive. I think about it as the difference between proactive adaptation versus reactive adaptation. And so as you're talking about that, right, the stepping into where I want to be, being intentional about how to get there. In fact, there's a part of our brain that's designed to help us do that. It's designed to anticipate our future and help us direct ourselves and be motivated to get to that place. You can learn to tap into that. That is what I do all day when I'm adaptability hacking. That's what I think about all day long. I mean, it's really my passion. Yeah, no, I, I love hearing that. And, you know, kind of your passion and working with people. Has there been anyone, and I'm sure there has been, that has surprised you? And Or just give us a success story, I should say, of someone that has been through your adaptability and, and what was the outcome because of that? And if you can use names and specific examples, that's great. And if we have to have it anonymously, completely understand. But give us a success story. Yeah, thanks for asking. So there are a few that really come to mind. One of them is... I'm gonna not, I'm gonna not use names uh, for reasons that I think the work that I do with somebody is really personal. Yeah, uh, and so you know, for them to be comfortable sharing what is really important to be able to adapt, it's important to not just kind of plaster that all over the all over the world uh, in a way that they're not ready for or might not might not want. So I'm very protective of that. So a success story is so there was someone who came to me and they were really struggling with overwhelm. And it's a very common experience for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when they just get started, that there's always more to do than you ever potentially have time for. And there's always more that we feel like we're getting on our plates or we're putting on our plates. There's so many different directions to go. There's so much to do. And a lot of people really struggle with overwhelm. As it turns out, though, overwhelm is actually a part of that system that's designed to help us adapt because overwhelm actually is designed to give us very specific information and to really push and pull us in very particular directions. So what I helped this person do, what I helped this entrepreneur do is they came in, they were overwhelmed because they were taking on too many projects. They were also doing way too much on their own. And so they were, they had just overloaded their plate. And so I helped them understand. I said, let's pick apart overwhelm. Let's actually hack into the adaptability piece of this overwhelm. Overwhelm shows up under a very particular set of parameters, right? Overwhelm does not happen if I'm sitting in a room and I've got nothing to do. We just don't get overwhelmed then. We get bored. It's a different feeling. It's a different reaction, right? Which is, again, trying to help us adapt to something because we have some need or a need for change. But we do get overwhelmed when our load is greater than our limit, when we're carrying above our capacity, right? That's really, really significant. The way most people respond to their overwhelm is they ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. They get burnt out or exhausted or drained. They can't do it anymore. And then they throw off as much of the load as they can, trying to make it match their limits. I said, look, you can keep doing that because it's a cycle I see all the time. You can keep doing that if you want, but you're not really tapping into the adaptability of your overwhelm. Your overwhelm is giving you data. It's telling you that your load is greater than your limit. It's giving you direction. And in fact, because of this really simple formula, when you understand and you hack into the way our brains are trying to help us, because of the simple formula, you actually have two angles of attack. One is to address your load. The other is to address and expand your limits. If you can work on both, and they tend to to be to show up in different circumstances, when people are acutely overwhelmed, that's a moment where you really need to address their load because they're getting crushed under it. And that's where most people find themselves because they're not consistently paying attention to it. But secretly underneath that is you need to expand your limits. 
You need to carve out and prioritize expanding your limits. That's a consistent process that you need to carve out time in order to do. And there's so many different ways to do that. You can create systems, processes, training. You can learn to do things more efficiently. You can hire. I mean, there's so many ways to expand your limits. And by the way, there are tons of businesses just designed on helping people expand their limits for their business or for themselves. There's so, so many businesses and people who do that. Oftentimes, we're not paying attention. And so I I helped this particular entrepreneur learn to identify and listen to their overwhelm, learn to identify the ways in which their particular flavor of overwhelm, we we slid back into the uh, food analogies, right? Their particular flavor of overwhelm is communicating to them about the limits that they have that need to be expanded and about the load they're currently holding. And once they got that, I mean, it was a process of, of really picking that apart and digging into it. And of course, learning to become more adaptable is not something you can just like sign up for a half hour and get, right? It is a consistent work. But over time, what happened was they learned how to listen and understand to the variations in the way their body and brain was telling them through their overwhelm about what's happening for themselves and for their businesses. And what ended up happening was they learned to expand their limits consistently. They learned to anticipate because their overwhelm is actually helping them anticipate it now instead of just ignoring it and it telling them when they're already getting crushed. And so they learned to build the road ahead and to build the bridges over the canyons before they were running over them. And it made all the difference. Yeah. They turned overwhelm from being the drag into their rocket fuel. Wow. I, I like, I love the, the load, you know, overload and, you know, and how that, that works in there. And, you know, I, I can bandwidth, you know, how, where are you yes. at in your bandwidth and, and, and what's coming in and I'll have people check in on me from time to time. Cause it's almost like we've trained each other for them to come over like, Hey, where's your bandwidth at right now with what's going mm-hmm. on with what your load is. I'm like, I got yes. this. Don't worry. They're like, let's take a few things over here. How can we kind of, you know, take this? So you continue to have that feeling of your bandwidth is not at capacity. Yeah. And that's a really big piece of it because when we are above our, our bandwidth, everything about our productivity and our quality of work and our output, it all goes down. Our motivation tanks. I mean, at first we're often really stressed and we're trying to get a lot done. A lot of, I think one of the big mistakes people make when they're getting overwhelmed is they try to borrow all the time they can from all the wrong places. They stop eating lunch. They stop taking their walks. They stop working out. And there's all these different things that they're doing, trying to increase their bandwidth, but they're doing it last minute as opposed to, right? What if you knew that every time you were going to go above your bandwidth, you could, you could see it coming. And I'm going to use the internet metaphor. You could call up your, your company, your service provider right? Or upgrade your modem and your bandwidth would double. What if you know how to do that? You can actually learn. There's a system in your brain designed to help you do that. You can get intentional about it. It changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can see it before it happens, you can notify your provider, your people around you, whomever it is, Mm -hmm. and they can be like, hey, we got this. And they can start unloading certain pieces that you might see, oh, I need to have my, and they're like, no, no, we got this. And we'll bring it back to you. I mean, one of my favorite ones was a few weeks ago with the success finder. I said, hey, I, I was on this email chain and just kept coming and coming. I'm like, I, I didn't feel anxiety. But I'm like, oh, you know, just one more. I just finally emailed back. I'm like, I believe in you guys. You got this. Just show me the final product. Like seeing all the emails come across. Ding, 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 and it was just, they're like, once I, I I mentioned that, once I let that go, it actually freed them up mentally to be like, oh my gosh, she believes in us. 
And that's mm. the reality. Like, I don't need to see, we don't need to see everything. And you put the people in the right order inside of your Rubik's cube and they will take part of that off there. They will help that bandwidth always stay, you know, to have a little bit more room to continue to grow and learn. Yeah. What I'm hearing is the, the kind of gimp in the bandwidth, if it's okay to use that phrase, yeah. is that people were coming to you and so you became the rubberneck for the bandwidth. Yep. And when you released that, the bandwidth expanded and they were able to do more. They were able to think more and they, they felt like they could do it more independently. They knew that you had their back, that you trusted them. Does that mean it's going to be perfect? No. Does it have to be perfect? No. What it means is they don't need to come to you every time for every little thing or thought or decision in advance. And that really expands the bandwidth because now there's so much more time. There's more freedom in our working memory or our capacity to do things in the moment. And so it sounds to me like that was the the kink in the hose, as you would put it before. Sometimes we're our own kink in the hose and we have to release ourselves from it. And it releases so many other things that are going on there. So, you know, got a few more questions as we get closer to the end. Um, I feel that, you know, in times of prosperity, it's easier to find those wins. The wins just kind of roll in um, as the world wins. But I think ingenuity and creativity come when we feel the squeeze. The world's still feeling the squeeze in all different aspects. What are you working on right now that's going to take place over the next 12 months that excites you? Yeah, thanks for asking. So I am really excited to put together a group whether it's going to be group coaching or a mastermind, I'm working on the pieces. I want to make sure the ingredients come together and create you know, the recipe, the end result that I, that's really desired and really helpful. I am really excited and looking forward to being able to put a group together where people are learning how to tap their adaptability and holding that together and coming at it from all these different perspectives and being able to really, with each other, learn how to imbibe that both for themselves and then from each other. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and, and we hope to be a part of that. We hope to help with that growth on there uh, inside of the success finder and, uh, and, and watch and, and help and guide along that way. So super excited to see how that comes together. And uh, as it's, it's going to happen in 2021, correct? That's the plan. All right. And well, we'll, yeah. Make it happen. There we go. We're, we're, yeah. we're going to make sure that that happens. All right. Last one. What's a tip, a tactic, an actual item that if anyone listening today implemented this over the next 30, 60, 90 days would see a real impact on their personal or business life? It's a great, great question. So many of us, we're aware that we have a gut and our gut tells us to do things. Some of us ignore it or don't pay attention to it. And some of us we pay attention to it in some ways and then ignore it in others or in some contexts and ignore it in others. And I want to say it's not always necessarily helpful to just go with your gut, but if there's one tip I would give you, it is whenever you're noticing a gut reaction, an intuition, any reaction, a feeling, dare I say, an emotion, that you slow down and say, what is it trying to do for me? Let me try to understand it. Where is it coming from? What does it want? What is it perhaps perceiving or helping me try to anticipate? Because at its core, that is the adaptive brain trying to help you adapt. It's either anticipating something or it is trying to help you respond to changes that are, again, internal or external, whether it's for yourself or your business. That is what it is designed to do. So to slow down and ask yourself, whatever that is, whether it's a gut reaction whether it's an emotion, a feeling, or an intuition, an inkling, 
listen to your body and your brain. It could be self-doubt. It could be so many different things. Just slow down and ask yourself, what information is it trying to give me? Where would it want me to go? What is it trying to do for me? How is it trying to direct me? Because it is trying to do that. Again, it doesn't mean that it, it has a total grip on reality. And that's why it's important to slow down and think about it. Being intentional with it can make a huge difference. Yeah. Being intentional with your emotions, being able to tether it you know, to a previous experience so you can see what's happening as it's happening a little bit faster this next go around. Absolutely. You know, it's, I've always said, Hey, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and slowly I'm like that sleeves getting longer. So it's not really having to wear it and becoming reactionary through an emotion. It's actually like, how do I take in the data that's happening, how it's making me feel and what is the best appropriate response in order to actually move through that as opposed to having it cripple me. Mm. And that's the, that's the entirety of adaptability from my perspective. And I think that the big change, the big transformation that can happen, I think, again, there are a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of things we learn about emotions that really contribute to that. This viewpoint, there's a difference between an emotion and an action. Behavior and emotion are not the same thing, but oftentimes they can be so connected because our emotions are there to influence our behavior. And when we're not aware of that, we can think that the behavior is just a result of the emotion, as opposed to saying, what if my emotion is there? Again, to come back to it, it's these, the, I call them the three Ds of adaptation, data, direction, and drive. Emotions are designed to give us data about ourselves, our environments, our needs. It's there to give us direction. Do I need to keep going straight? Do I need to turn right or left? And drive, do I need to hit the gas or the brakes? It's there to do that. And if you can really understand that and slow that down, you can harness it. From my perspective, there's no such thing as a negative emotion, just an uncomfortable one. And even uncomfortable emotions have purpose. If you choose to harness it, it can be incredibly helpful. If you don't, it can absolutely push you around. Yeah, it can, uh, it can be like opening a present. Slowly, you know, take off the bow, unwrap the paper, and, uh, you know, work your way through that full emotion so you can have it, it's, it, you give it its, you know, its justice. It, it, it's able to work its way through, but then you're able to realize what it can do for you and how it can help you move the needle. We have got the adaptability hacker himself, Dr. Yishai. Doc, thank you so much for your time today and, and what you have given us. And I'm looking forward to listening to this one again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode.